Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. Eric, it's fair to say that neither of us travels quite as much as we did in the before times. And honestly, the way things have been, I suspect that's okay by both of us. We, we had a great trip to the Hall of Fame last week. Um, but here's the thing, we drove. We didn't have to get on an airplane or go to an airport or anything. Flying is literally for the birds these days. Um, the other week, as you know, I flew to Alaska. My trip there was a day shorter than it should have been because I got stuck in Charlotte uh, because of storms and delays and whatnot. And I thought, you know what? That was a pretty sucky flight, I thought. But the reason this podcast is posting a little late this week is because you just experienced travel suckiness of the highest order. Tell the people about your fun travel weekend, why don't you? Uh, okay, all right, if you insist. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of the right level of detail to keep the story crisp and moving while, while hitting all the plot points. So uh, here goes, uh, a big full family trip to LA to see my brother and his family, uh, my mom and all of her sons, daughters-in-law and grandkids together for the first time since the most recent grandkid came along. This was our rescheduled trip from December when we canceled due to Omicron. We were originally going to stay Tuesday to Sunday, but about a month ago, we found out my son's spring School of Rock performances were going to be the Saturday and Sunday at the end of our trip. So we switched our flights home from Sunday to Red Eye Friday to get back for his shows that he's spent the last three months practicing for. We get to LAX Friday evening, check our bags, get to the gate, and about an hour before boarding is set to begin, they tell everyone the flight is canceled. Uh, no reason why, although apparently this has been happening a lot lately, uh, especially with American Airlines. Um, and I'm sorry if I'm costing us a podcast sponsorship deal by outing them specifically. Uh, but we presume staffing shortages that basically they're scheduling more flights than they have pilots for which is not the smartest way to run an airline, I wouldn't think. Anyway, uh, mad dash to customer service, wait in line for about an hour. There are no seats available on the one later flight Friday night or any of the flights Saturday. The best they can do is get my wife and daughter on a 6 a.m. Sunday flight and my son and I on a Sunday afternoon flight. So we're missing the School of Rock shows no matter what. It's a huge bummer, um, but... Back to the family Airbnb house we go. We just need to re-rent a car and retrieve our checked bags. Uh, the lady at the counter puts in the request to release our suitcases back to us, says it takes anywhere from a half hour to two hours to find them and get them back down to baggage claim. And mind you, it's now about 11.30 p.m. L.A. time. We're all exhausted. So I'm waiting at baggage claim. My wife goes back to Avis to rent another car. That's quick and easy. She's back in a half hour in the new car. I'm waiting and waiting for the bags. After an hour and a half, I finally get in the customer service line and have them scan my little bag receipt stickers to track the bags. And, oh, what do you know? They put our bags on the next flight to Philly and didn't think to mention it to me, nor to ask if we're cool with them sending all of our clothes, toiletries, medicines, etc., back to Philly, even though they can't put any of the humans those items belong to on a flight for two days. 
So uh, we finally leave the airport a little after 1 a.m. L.A. time, go to a 24-hour CVS, spend $150 on supplies, and get back to the Airbnb to go to sleep around the time we were supposed to be arriving in Philly. Uh, I'll yada yada the rest. There were additional complications and inducements of anxiety. Um, But I, I did get home a little before midnight Sunday. And my body clock should be right again by mid-August, presumably. Um, but uh, yeah, driving. That is the way to travel. And I'm saying that despite the four and a half hour drive to Canastota taking me six and a half hours the other week. That feels like nothing to me these days. How about poor, uh, poor Eli there missing his school of, school of rock? How was he with the whole thing? I know you were going to take him to a Dodgers game to compensate for that happen. <laughs> yeah, it was not adequate compensation, but we did do that. Uh, helped, helped a bit. We went to the Dodgers game Saturday. Um, but no, I mean, it, it, he, he handled it as well as could be expected. He kept it together, but I, I know he's definitely bummed. But, you know, it, it's you're really bummed at first, and then at a certain point it just sets in that, this is what it is and there's nothing I can do about it and uh, got to move on to the next thing. Uh, yes. Well, travel. Well, that's, that's why we try to do it as little as possible, but uh, despite everything, we are both back in the proverbial saddle, ready to bring you another podcast coming up on the Showtime Boxing Podcast brought to you by Delta Airlines. Um, <laughs> another couple of interviews from our time at the Hall of Fame recently. Uh, we're going to have interviews with former light heavyweight champions, Antonio Tarver and Michael Spinks. Uh, Spinks in particular, someone you don't get to hear a lot uh, from uh, these days. So that's a real treat. Uh, we've got a ton of news to discuss, uh, including several items related to Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua, uh, as well as the sad news of the death of Hall of Famer Carlos Ortiz. We will preview next week's The Zone card featuring Jesse Bam Rodriguez taking on Strisiket Sorong Visai. But first to the Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden, New York, where we expected an exciting and competitive light heavyweight unification bout on Saturday night on ESPN, but instead witnessed an impressive blowout as Arta Beterbiev dropped Joe Smith Jr. at the very end of the first round and then twice more in the second before sending him almost literally spinning backward and prompting referee Harvey Dock to stop the contest at 2 minutes 19 of the second round. Smith drops to 28 and 4 with 22 KOs. Beterbiev remains perfect at 18-0 with 18 stoppages. Eric, how was Beterbiev able to be so dominant? And what happens... If and when he now faces off against the other light heavyweight titleist, Dimitri Bivol. Well, I'll note first that I'm glad I was out of state and not able to place a bet on this fight because I was thinking, you know, Joe Smith's really tough and durable. Better be of by decision at plus 400. Those are great odds. Uh, that was my thought was that, uh, you know, OK, maybe KO is more likely than decision, but both seem pretty possible. It's going to go some rounds for sure. I was I, I was pretty confident of that. Not so much. Uh, this was staggeringly impressive from Better Biev. I did not expect a KO2. And, and that actually leads into my tweet of the week contenders. So I'll get back to my analysis of how Better Biev did it and, and the Better Biev Bevo matchup and all that stuff in a second. I have three contenders for tweet of the week. Uh, Kieran, I will let you pick the winner among these three contenders. Uh, they all relate in some way to how quick this fight was. First, from Jake at Pocket Louie, uh, quote, that was the light heavyweight version of Inoue Denaire 2. 
pretty perfect comparison in terms of Mm -hmm. the guy who won. We fully expected to win, but we sure as hell didn't think it would be an easy, dominant, knockdown-filled KO2 result. Um, Next, from multi-time tweeter of the week, Dick Hercules. And uh, I apologize for the Rocky spoilers, but he tweeted, Joe Smith is the real-life Rocky Balboa. He just happens to be the one from Rocky Three that got knocked out in two rounds by Clubber Lang. Uh, I enjoyed that very much. And lastly, from our friend Caleb Truax, he tweeted right after the fight ended uh, and, and ended unexpectedly quickly. He tweeted, quote, boxing fans, colon, the Godfather is on at Paramount net. Uh, that's a, that's an evergreen, really. When it, when a fight ends early, you can never go wrong. Just flipping channels to the Godfather, the greatest film ever made. Yes. Uh, bite me. <laughs> Godfather two stands. Uh, so, uh, Kieran, which, uh, which you select as the tweet of the week from, uh, if those are my three nominees. Well, I think particularly given the callback to our recent discussion about movies and sequels, I've got to go with our favorite ice fishing boxer there, Caleb Truax. Okay. A reasonable choice. Uh, we uh, So congratulations, Caleb, on, on the tweet of the week there. Um, so, okay, uh, back to my analysis. Um, Better BF was able to dominate because he's that damn powerful and skillful. And Joe Smith had a choice to make. Try to box safely from distance and have zero chance of winning this fight because he just doesn't have the skill to compete with Better BF. Or get in close and slug and give himself that puncher's chance of winning, but probably take some serious punishment in the process. He chose the latter. I admire him for it. It's the right choice if you're trying to win, but his fists are slower than better BFs and Archer better BF is is just too well-schooled for that. If you give him openings, he'll take them. And then he just happens to have elite power. So it's not just like, you know, uh, he's going to he's going to pick you apart like Floyd Mayweather and, and make you look silly. He will hurt you as he picks you apart. And almost everything he landed hurt Joe Smith. Really, the fight was over once better be have hurt him at the end of the first round. And from there, it was just a matter of when he would finish the job. So bottom line, better be have is that damn good. But also Joe Smith was with 2020 hindsight totally made to order for him as long as better didn't get caught with something big. Um, as for the Bevel question, I favor Better Biev, but of course it's a great fight and a great style clash that you could see either guy winning. Um, John Murray, who manages the Las Vegas Westgate Superbook Sportsbook and, and is a boxing fan, he tweeted something right after the fight to the effect of bring on Better Biev versus Bevel. So I tweeted back my predicted odds. Uh, I put it at Better Biev minus 175, Bevel plus 125. And uh, Murray objected to the gap in prices not being customer friendly enough. Uh, apparently, I'm, I'm uh, uh, a bit too greedy of a bookmaker. But, uh, but I guess he agreed that Better Biev should open as a small favorite somewhere in that range. So maybe more like minus 170 and plus 140. And if those are the prices... I'm betting on better Bev. Uh, you know, Bevel has great skill, but I'm not sure he has the style and power to keep better Bev off of him. You know, Canelo is shorter than better Bev and much less busy in the ring. He had a harder time getting close than I think better Bev would. So I'd favor better Bev and would probably bet him anywhere up to about minus 200. But I sure hope we get the fight. This is a true case of the winner of that fight is indisputably the man in the division. What what, what were your thoughts on uh, this dominance we saw from better Bev? Unsurprisingly, some of the notes 
that I may sort of echo almost word for word some of what you just said here. Okay. Um, and yeah, I think I think one of the things that um, you know really came to mind again, I, I had the, the in my notes there the word hindsight that you just used, and the, really the very thing that we thought would make this an exciting contest, you know, Smith's aggression and his grit and his strength. That was what made it so one-sided ultimately, as you said. And, and I think what was very interesting to me is what this fight really underlined. And again, you talked about this, was that better be if we, we look at his record, we see his knockouts and we think of him as a, as a heavy hitter, which he is. But I thought he really underlined there on Saturday night how much more than that he is. His punches are short, they're accurate and they're fast. Uh, he, he doesn't waste energy or movement. And once he had that kind of right hand dialed in, that was it, really, for, for Joe Smith. Um, he, and once he, he had it dialed in, he, he almost couldn't miss with it. And it is. It's, it's very difficult to imagine who can beat him on this sort of form. He seems a little bit like, you know, he had one or two sort of not stellar performances. And partly some of that might have been him coming off of COVID and all of that. But I think... He might be the kind of guy who was at his best against best his best opposition. He was he was terrific against Vojtic, for example. He was terrific here against Smith. Um, you know, I, I I think a Bivol fight would be fascinating for for the reasons you you outlined there. If you're gonna have any hope of beating Better Biev, perhaps it's by you know boxing him from the outside, not giving him an opportunity. But while Bivol is that an excellent boxer, he, he's an excellent boxer in the pocket. And I thought that would be his undoing against Canelo. But it turned out that that was what made him so absolutely effective. But I completely agree with you. Part of what, what plagues Canelo there is he's gotten into this habit of fighting for parts of rounds and in bursts and feeling that he doesn't need to like fight for three minutes of every round. And better be isn't going to do that. And he does have, I think, more power than, than Canelo. Uh, and he does have those those fast hands. I think it would be a fascinating clash of style. But I feel like it would be one of those things where Bivol would have to fight almost the perfect fight for 12 rounds because of that relative lack of power. Whereas Better BF could actually lose a few rounds, could be behind and still find a way to, to win this. Um, I can't wait. I really hope it happens. Already, unfortunately, we're hearing that boxing might be getting in its own way. Uh, one of, and this is why it's so hard in a four belt era to become a truly undisputed champion. One of the sanctioning bodies has Anthony Yard, who performed well but came up short against Sergei Kovalev a, a few years ago, uh, as the next challenger for Berbiev. And yeah, sure, that could happen fine, but that's you know, that's not going to stop. No disrespect to Anthony Yard, but better be ever is going to emerge from that fight 19 and 0 with 19 knockouts. Right. Um, this isn't one of those fights, I think, better be Evan Bivol, that we need to be seeing either guy in a bunch of interim fights. Uh, this is a fight that really needs to happen. Um, and then afterwards, Canelo can decide whether he wants to, uh, any of that or whether, in fact, 168 pounds is unreflection. Perfect weight for him. Thank you very much. And he doesn't need to go up anymore. Uh, I, I, know, I know that you've been always very excited about a Canelo better BF fight, and I certainly was. But I suspect Canelo might be a little bit less excited about it himself right now. Yeah, and, and, and even I am a little less excited than I used to be after seeing just how awesome better be have looked against yeah. Joe Smith and seeing what happened to Canelo against Bivol. That, that is no longer my number one dream fight in the sport. <laughs> Certainly. I think uh, we got, we got 
Crawford Spence at number one and better BFB ball just might be number two right now. Yeah. All right. Look, for the first time in, I think, almost eight weeks, we do not have a Showtime card to either recap or preview, but there is an excellent card in the zone next weekend. It's a strong, uh, I think it's a triple header, although with the zone, they, they, they feature a lot of the undercards too. So mm-hmm. let's just say it's a strong card, uh, top to bottom, and it's topped by Jesse Bam Rodriguez making the first defense of the 115-pound title he won by defeating veteran Carlos Quadras in February. He's now taking on former champ Strisaket Zorungvisai and by far the biggest test of his young career. And when I say young career, let's compare the records here. Strisaket, as we know, the former conqueror of Chocolatito Gonzalez, is 55-1 and with 43 KOs. And Rodriguez, who prior to the Quadras fight was campaigning at 112 pounds, is 15 and O with 10 KO. So a huge experience discrepancy there. But Eric, is Rodriguez ready for this test? Can he beat the experienced and frankly excellent Strisaket? I certainly think he can. And what's interesting to me here is you framed it with Bam Rodriguez as sort of the question mark. You know, is he ready for this? But to me, Strisaket is the wild card here. I actually think I have more confidence about what I'm getting from Bam than I do about Sri Saket. He's now 35 years old. He's had, as you said, 56 pro fights. That's over the course of 13 years. And the last couple of years, he's just been kind of keeping busy. He hasn't been in a serious fight against an elite guy since losing a competitive decision to Juan Francisco Estrada just over three years ago. I definitely think he's past his absolute peak. I don't think he's 2017, 18 Sri Saket anymore, but you know, if he's 5% diminished from that guy, this is a real fight and a serious test for Bam. And maybe Strisaket is even the favorite. If he's a little more faded than that, then maybe Bam dominates him. Um, it's a great fight, a, a fascinating fight. But whenever you have a 35-year-old against a 22-year-old and the 22-year-old has proven a little something and, and really looks like the goods... I'm almost always going to favor the 22-year-old in that situation. So this feels to me like one of those crossroads fights where the young guy gets to put a great name on his resume. Uh, Bam is fast, explosive, energetic. Like Strisaket, he's a southpaw. I tend to favor him here. But, you know, maybe Strisaket is still very nearly the fighter he was four or five years ago, in which case... Very good chance he's still too much for Rodriguez, and you can ignore just about everything I just said if he really is that close to Prime Strisaket still. But I'm really looking forward to this one and and looking forward to the whole card, really. Um, Strong undercard here in 122-pound action. One of your favorites, Mirajan Akhmedaliev, takes on Ronnie Rios. Undisputed women's welterweight champion and outstanding broadcaster Jessica McCaskill defends her belts against Alma Ibarra and McWilliams Arroyo faces Julio Cesar Martinez in a rematch of a head clash. No contest. That's for a flyweight belt. Kieran, what catches your eye among these? Well, as you mentioned, and as we've discussed before, I'm a huge fan of Akhmedaliev. And this will be an interesting challenge for him in that he's not just battling Ronnie Rios. He's battling the perception that he's now no better than the number two man in the division. So dominant with Stephen Fulton last time out against Danny Roman. Uh, Rios is a veteran who's been in against some of the best over the years, sometimes emerging on top, sometimes not. He was stopped by Robinson Castellanos in what was considered something of an upset at the time for his first loss. He was outpointed by Ray Vargas. 
and perhaps his most disappointing outing, and the one that perhaps suggests he, he's not on Akhmadeliev's level here, he was stopped by Avat Hofanissian. But he also handed the first losses of their careers to Jason Velez, whose career promptly fell off a cliff, and Diego De La Hoya, who's barely been seen since. He's coming off a solid win against Oscar Negrete. So there's nothing in his record to suggest he can necessarily beat Akhmadaliev. The question, I think, is whether he can give him, you know, a tough enough match to force him to, to work for his win, or whether this is the opportunity for an ideal statement win for Akhmadaliev to challenge that perception that Fulton is the undisputed number one there at 122 pounds. Um, I'm also very much looking forward to catching uh, uh, Jessica McCaskill in action um, from being something of an unknown who scored a somewhat controversial upset win over Cecilia Breakers. She's really established herself as one of the leading lights of women's boxing right now. And like you said, she's a terrific broadcaster. Her commentary on DAZN has, has just been excellent. Um, and she looked very good last time out. And in Barra, she's facing someone whose only defeat was to Raquel Miller, who most uh, listeners may not have heard of, but who's actually a very, very good boxer who just doesn't fight frequently enough. Um, so I think this should actually turn out to be a really solid test for McCaskill. So I'm quite looking forward to that one as well. All right, let's take a look at the week's news and there's a lot of it or as Queen Victoria might have said there are a lot of them apparently Queen Vic used news as a plural and would ask her advisors each morning what are the news the more you know there you go Eric (laughs) that's your little bit of information for the day there you go I we aim to please again the kind of analysis you don't get on any other boxing podcast Uh, anyway perhaps appropriate to start with Queen Victoria because our news main event concerns the old country across the sea in the form of a number of items concerning two of the world's top heavyweights, Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury. First of all, AJ, who was the one fighter in Eddie Hearn's matchroom stable to retain a contract in the UK with Sky Sports after Hearn decamped fully to DAZN, has now joined his promoter at the streaming network. According to DAZN.com, Joshua, quote, has deepened his partnership with DAZN by becoming a shareholder, special advisor, and brand ambassador for the business. As a special advisor, Joshua will join DAZN's strategic advisory board as the business develops its global boxing offering by providing a richer and more immersive experience for its customers. That was definitely not written by somebody in corporate. Um, Joshua is, of course, in training for a rematch with Alexander Usyk, which is now set for August 20th in, alas, Saudi Arabia. Uh, Should he win the rematch? Mike Tyson Fury be waiting for him. Fury appeared to announce his retirement after knocking out Dillian White recently, but and the least surprising news ever news has this past week strongly hinted that he would be open to changing course for the right amount of money, of course. In a recent interview conducted while getting a shave at the barber in Fury fashion, uh, Fury jokingly bellowed at Frank Warren to, quote, show me the money. And he followed that up by telling our buddy Gareth Davies of The Telegraph the amount of money that he would be required to be shown is 500 million British pounds. Uh, if somebody wants to pay that, then I'll return, he told Gareth. Well, yes. Um, but until that day, kaput, I'm out. <laughs> if someone wants to waste half a billion, I suppose my morality will be tested. Um, as for where such a rich fight might take place, well, it might not be possible to have it in the United States, as Fury has reportedly been banned from traveling here because of his alleged links with accused crime boss Daniel Kinahan. So, Eric, a lot to address here. Uh, Any thoughts? Well, as a non-British person who doesn't watch fights on Sky Sports, I'm not sure that the 
AJ DeZone news really impacts my life or, or the lives of any of our right. US based listeners. So <laughs> sorry, sorry to all of our UK listeners for having zero useful insights there. Um, the, the more interesting news items here concern Fury. Yeah, uh, seems having a direct connection to Kinahan isn't great for one's international travel ambitions these days. But I don't think it impacts Fury much as a fighter. Any boxing match he might take should be in the UK anyway. You know, he's done fighting Deontay Wilder. Those were fights that probably did indeed belong in the US, but Fury Joshua or Fury Usyk, those are ideally Wembley Stadium fights. Hopefully they're not Saudi Arabia fights. That would suck, even though I should probably brace now for the likelihood that if we ever get Fury AJ, it's going to be in the worst possible setting instead of the best possible setting. Um, I should note that if Fury goes ahead with the hybrid boxing MMA fight against Francis Ngannou, that maybe his U.S. travel availability matters for that one. But I kind of feel like that's just a bunch of talk anyway and not something we should be taking too seriously. So um, on to the main thing here, Fury hinting at not really being retired, at least for the right fight at the right price. I stand by what I've said all along. If, if AJ beats Usyk and there is epic all-time Maypack level money available for Fury AJ, especially given that Fury is a big favorite in that fight, I'd say I'm about 80% confident he wins. And that means he's probably 99% confident he wins. Then he will make that fight. He is not retired. If there is a fight with AJ to be made, if Usyk wins could go either way, um, not just because there's less money in that fight, but also legacy wise, the risk reward equation might not work out for fury because if he wins, eh, Usyk was a cruiserweight anyway, who cares? Fury had 50 pounds on him, etc. And if he loses to Usyk, or, or even if he struggles and wins a close decision, I think it's bad for his all-time greatness argument. Um, but again, if AJ beats Usyk uh, on August 20th, then Tyson Fury is not a retired boxer. Uh, there are plenty of items in our news undercard as well. We'll stick with heavyweights named Tyson to kick it off. Mike Tyson, in a recent appearance on Jimmy Kimmel Live, acknowledged he was wrong to punch a fellow plane passenger in a much-discussed incident recently. Tyson said, I was wrong. That should have never happened. That's me back in my primitive child stages, but I was just irritated, tired, high, and pissed off. Um, he did also compliment Jake Paul on his boxing career so far, and when asked about Paul calling him out, said that would be interesting, and said that if the two men were to fight, it would have to be this year. Former Logan Paul opponent Floyd Mayweather has apparently not had enough of bilking people of their money for meaningless exhibitions, as he announced that he will be facing Japanese MMA fighter Mikuru Asakura in September. A few items about boxers getting into trouble of different types. Edgar Berlanga has been fined $10,000 and suspended for six months by the New York State Athletic Commission for biting Romer Angulo in their contest last week. Errol Spence pleaded guilty to a DWI stemming from his car accident back in 2019. His license has been suspended and he was sentenced to three days in jail, but was given credit for time served. Former heavyweight boxer Julius Francis, nowadays working as a bouncer at a club near Wembley, was caught on video landing a beautiful short right hand to knock a rowdy inebriated ruffian out cold, which earned him only praise from the bar's owner. And an addendum to the story from last week about the tragic death of Simiso Butelesi. 
His opponent, Sifasile Muntungwa, stated in the aftermath that the abuse he has received over social media is so great that, quote, I just can't take it anymore. One thing is left for me. I am going to kill myself, end quote. Uh, that is just an awful twist to an already terrible story. Kieran, that's a long list of items. Anything you'd like to comment on? Let's deal with the most awful part first. Social media is generally dreadful because it gives an unfiltered voice to humans, and humans are almost universally horrible. Um, (laughs) How anybody can give anonymous shit to a boxer whose opponent has just died in the ring is just beyond me. You have Mm -hmm. to be among the most awful and vile of people to do that. Um, Any boxer whose opponent dies struggles with it to varying extents afterwards. Some are able to sort of, you know, compartmentalize it better than others. Sergei Kovalev has has moved on with his career, but Gabrielis was never the same after Jimmy Garcia died, for example. And it's an awful burden to carry. And to have this on top, I mean, it just must be unbearable. I I just can't even imagine. I I hope that Muntunga is able to get the help that he needs to get through this. Some boxers return to the ring and do fine. As I said, some struggle. Whether we see Muntungwa back in the ring again is, is almost immaterial at this point. We, I just hope that he's able to come to terms with, with all of this and realize that none of this is his fault uh, and that he, you know, he's able to, to find some peace. And uh, yeah, again, I mean, it's, it's just awful. It's just reason number 2,762 to just hate social media and indeed the people on it. Um, uh, as for the other items, I think the Spence and Berlanga stories speak for themselves. I guess Floyd must have made plenty of money from flattening Don Moore if he's going to doing it all over again so soon. I have no idea who's giving him all this money, but there you go. Good luck to him, I suppose. Um, I have to be honest. I, I have no idea if everyone involved is just blowing smoke or it's just an easy way to you know, get some social media uh, attention, but God help me, I would watch Jake Paul versus Mike Tyson. Um, I, I mean, I'm sorry, but I would. And I mean, it's, it's sort of interesting in that, you know, can uh, there's that, beyond the individuals involved, there's that interesting, well, sort of interesting issue of can a near 60-year-old all-time great actually hang with a 24-year-old novice boxer, um, whoever they are, Um if it were any other near 60-year-old all-time great and any other 24-year-old novice boxer, I'd probably think it was the whole thing was just appalling and, and why were people talking about it? But I don't know. I'm, I, I would be genuinely curious. I would actually fall for that and call me a sucker if you want. But yeah, I, I'd, I'd watch it. Um, I have no idea if it's real. I have no idea if it's just two people just able to say stuff to each other and get a little bit of attention for it or not. Um, I, I genuinely don't know. And I wouldn't care were it not that I thought the Mike actually looked all right when he was in the ring with Roy Jones, who is of course another near 60 year old, all time great. But, uh, yeah, what the hell I would, I, I would fall for that. I, I'm not proud, Eric. I'm, I'm, it's, it's not my greatest moment, but I, I would fall for that. I don't know if you would. Uh, yeah, it's, um, the two word phrase guilty pleasure comes to mind. This is, yeah. I will feel very guilty, but. I do anticipate some pleasure, at least some some a, a lot of interest in what's what's that going to look like. Uh, as you said, I um yeah I hate myself for it, but sign me up if that happens. 
<laughs> All right, one final news item. Former lightweight and junior welterweight champion Carlos Ortiz died last week at the age of 85. Born in Ponce, Puerto Rico in 1936, Ortiz accumulated a professional boxing record of 61-7-1 with one no contest, with 30 wins coming by way of knockout. Eric, what can you tell us about the great Carlos Ortiz? So needless to say, I didn't cover Ortiz's career, and I I never did meet him in person, though I did see him at some fights in New York over the years. He was born in Puerto Rico, but moved to New York at at age eight, so he was a real fixture there. Um, Anyway, he was one of the greatest lightweight champions of all time. Any reasonable list puts him in the top 10. Some put him in the top five. That's kind of borderline. Certainly an all-time top 10 lightweight champ. He reigned for the majority of the 60s, from 1962 to 68, with just a brief interruption in 65 when he lost the title to Ismail Laguna and then immediately won it back. He later won the rubber match to go 2-1 and one versus Laguna. He went 2-0. and oh with two 14th round KOs against Flash Alorde, who was part of the discussion we witnessed between Lee Groves and Jack Hirsch last week about the second greatest Filipino boxer ever. Ortiz beat Joe Brown to win the title. He beat Hall of Famer Sugar Ramos twice. When I was still an editor at The Ring, we named him in 2002, the magazine's 80th anniversary, when we ranked the 80 greatest fighters of those 80 years. We ranked him the 60th greatest fighter of those 80 years. Uh, And he was, during his career, recognized as the greatest Puerto Rican boxer ever. He was later arguably surpassed by Felix Trinidad and or Wilfredo Gomez, but I think most would say Ortiz is, at worst, the third greatest Puerto Rican fighter of all time, and some still rank him number one. So this is a death very much worth separating out and, and discussing on its own as we are here. This wasn't some pretty good ex-fighter who died. This is one of the all-time greats. So RIP Carlos Ortiz. And Carlos Ortiz was, of course, an inductee of the International Boxing Hall of Fame. Uh, We have a couple more interviews for you now from our time at the Hall last weekend. It is a pair of light heavyweights. Shortly, the first and only lineal light heavyweight champion to become lineal heavyweight champion, Michael Spinks. But first, Roy Jones conqueror and Rocky Balboa star, Antonio Tarver. We're joined now by former light heavyweight champ Antonio the Magic Man. Tarver, champ, thanks for joining us. Thank How's you. It going, thanks man? for having me. Great, man. I'm down here in Canastota for the three triple induction, man. And it's like <laughs> I'm a it's like a who's who here on the grounds right now. And I'm just a fan, man. I got my glove autographed by everybody. Yes. I'm excited to watch all these great fighters go in and, and uh, they represent the sport so very well. If you need the two of us to autograph your glove later, just <laughs> yeah, let right. Right, right. A smaller glove, probably. <laughs> you, you, you mentioned the three classes. You know some of these guys pretty well. Yeah. What's it like being here watching some of your rivals, Roy Jones, Bernard Hopkins, those guys going into the Hall of Fame? Is that exciting for you to your generation going in? Most definitely. I mean, these are guys that I uh, became to uh, compete against as well as uh, admire from afar. For many, many, many years. I was I was a fan of boxing before I actually became one. Oh, okay. So, you know, it was a love for the sport that has me here, and I'm just on cloud nine watching all these guys get what they deserve. You know, the recognition for all their hard work, man, deservingly so. You got Ann Wolf, Layla Ali going in. I mean, it's just a who's who, and it's just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah talk about that. It's, it's, it's really cool that we've got not just the first, but the first three ever women's classes yes, going yes, in. And, yes. and that's that's... A new development, but very cool to see. Yes, and it's long overdue. Yeah. We know there's uh, been women in boxing uh, behind the scenes, 
making things happy, happen, you know, uh, you can think of like Jackie Callen, you know, people that have really been instrumental in helping these fighters find themselves and become champions. So they need to be noted and they need to be respected as such. So yeah, women's power right now, you know? So I have to know, what do you get recognized for more? Do more people come up to you and say, you're the guy who knocked out Roy Jones, or you're Mason the Line Dixon from the Rocky movie? Hey, you know what? It, it varies depending on where I'm at. Okay. You know what I'm saying? But definitely if we're in a boxing environment, it's the uh, Roy Jones trilogy. Mm -hmm. And anywhere else, more than likely, younger crowd or younger people are going to know me from the Rocky Balboa. But either way, they remember me, and that's all that matters. When you, when you see Roy in person, do you, do you bust out the you got any excuses tonight line as a joke, or, or, or is that over? No, you know, that never came to my mind. I never thought about it. No, but uh, me and Roy, man, uh, since the years, you know, definitely have um, realized that, you know what, we were uh, – it was needed and it was uh, definitely um, necessary, you know, because it brought the best out in both of us, you know what I mean? And a lot of times in this game, you don't always win, you know, uh, but for whatever reason, you got to look inside yourself, look in that mirror, maybe go back to the drawing board and do it again. But when I look at the whole saga, I just think it was my time, you know, mm -hmm. with everything I had been through and everything that led me to that moment. And I think when I look back at the Eric Harding rematch, I think any time before that time, it would, would have been hard for me to compete or beat Roy Jones Jr. But when I avenged that loss right. and I proved to myself that I can overcome adversity and I can overcome hardship like a loss, I knew I had became a champion and I was ready for whatever. You know, it didn't matter who it was, I was ready. You know, hearing you say how you and Roy sort of talked and look back on it, it's one of the amazing things with boxers. Like, I always got the impression that you and Roy, for example, weren't just rivals, but you really didn't like each other. And, you know, it's amazing that boxers can go through these intense rivalries. You get there in the ring, you're trying to do a lot of harm to each other, a little bit of water goes under the bridge, get a little older, get a little heavier, and you guys can like sit down and have a drink and be like, man, those were good times, right? Exactly, exactly. And I'm proud to announce that we are both working as founders, as well as Pauli Malignaggi and Manuel Marquez, who's going in, yep. is a legend. You know, we're working on a new project called ProBoxTV.com. And we believe this is the boxing channel, all boxing content, 24 hours a day. And it's cheaper than a, a cup of coffee, $1.99 a month. $18 a year. So please go check it out, share, and subscribe, ProBox TV. We got dates, June, uh, June 24th we have a date, July 9th we have a date, and uh, we welcome all the big fighters because we want to make the fights that the people want to see. Competitive 50-50 competitive fights, that's what we're all about at ProBox TV. Very cool. I'm glad to hear that you're staying active and staying, staying in boxing and staying involved. Uh, all these Hall of Famers going in here. Is there anyone you haven't seen yet that you're really looking forward to, to seeing and catching up with? Well, I've seen them all since I got since I've been here a couple of days ago. Uh -huh. I've had a chance to see and meet everybody, but that's what it's all about. You know, James Tony, legendary James Tony, one of the baddest mans in the game, and talking to him and reminiscing about his career has been great for me, man, because I remember him and Jackie Collin, like I mentioned earlier. His mom still here with him side by side, James Tony's mom. So you like to see stuff like that. And, and James is a real goat in the game of boxing. 
one of the greatest of all times. Mm. We always say on the podcast, we say to, to our listeners, if you've never been to the Boxing Hall of Fame, you try to go. go at least once. And it's so awesome to like talk to somebody like yourself who, who's achieved a great deal in the game. And you're kind of giddy here too. Yes, you're yes. like a, you're like a fan, <laughs> and it really does show. Like it's a fun environment, isn't it? It's, it's the love of the sport. Yeah, it's the love of the sport. And what I realized is that you know those footsteps I followed: Ali, Sugar Ray, Sugar Leonard's, those footsteps. And hopefully, I made some footsteps. You know mm-hmm. that these young guys can come up behind me mm-hmm. and be inspired for what I did in the ring, because God knows it wasn't easy. And I made myself. You know, I made myself, and people get, should understand and get and be excited about that, you know, be motivated about that. You know, I try to preach that to my son who's who's right now is a, a up and coming contender, you know, but I can preach it all day, but he has to believe it. And, and that's where I just, I'm hands off because I can't control how he feels inside. I can't control his mental thought process. You know, those are the things that he's gonna have to experience and come to grips with, come to grips with. You know, because I can train you and prepare you, but I can't fight for you. And that's the problem or, you know, it may not even be a problem, but it has to come from within him. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not seeing it within him, then I know he's not ready for what is going to take place in that circle. Because it's serious business in there. Serious business. You can come in that fight one way and leave out another. Yeah. And you don't play with that. You can't play boxing. Exactly. You can play every other sport. But I've never seen anyone say, let's go play boxing. Right, right. What's harder, being a boxer or being a boxer's father? Ooh. <laughs> I, I'm still trying to figure that out. Okay. I'm still trying to figure it out. But what should be so easy, something that could be so easy sometimes is the most difficult thing in the world, mm. you know? Because at the end of the day, I can't control anyone. All I can do is advise. Mm. And depending on how this person accepts that advice, depends on how far they go or how long it takes, the process. You have to trust the process. You can't rush it. All right, well, it has been a real pleasure catching up with you here, Antonio. I'm glad to hear that you're having such a great time and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks for taking a few minutes to talk to us. Now, what 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 uh, podcast we're on right now? The Showtime Boxing, Boxing Podcast. Podcast. Tell the people at Showtime I missed them, all right? Wondered if that was Yeah, yeah. We missed that shit, man. Believe that. All right, guys, y'all be good. We're very happy to be joined now by Boxing Hall of Famer, former light heavyweight champion, former heavyweight champion of the world, the one and only Michael Spinks. Champ, thank you so much for joining us. No problem, no problem. So I don't know if you're aware of this, Michael, but Ringside Seat Magazine recently did a section where they named the fighter of the decade for every decade, and they named you as the fighter of the 1980s, which I think was a little controversial because a lot of people think of Sugar Ray Leonard first. What do you think of being named the fighter of the 80s? Well, I'm, I'm uh, thrilled. I'm thrilled they uh, named me, named me uh, the boxer of the decade. Mm-hmm. Then, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you accomplished quite a bit that decade. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> all, all those uh, light heavyweight winning the title, all those title defenses. It, it's a reasonable case. You think that, that you were the best and most accomplished of the 1980s? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Not, not for you to judge. Whatever they say. No, I'm not me to judge. But uh, whatever they say. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you were the first like, fighter to go from being light heavyweight champion to being heavyweight champion. And you were lineal champion. You were the champ. 
at light heavyweight and heavyweight. Looking back on, on that career, is that one of your proudest things, the fact that you were able to go from light heavyweight to be heavyweight champ? What, what do you look back on with most fondness in your career? Well, that was a proud moment for me, uh, being able to do that. You know, because uh, uh, um, when, uh, when my promoter came to me, he said, Slim, we, uh, we going, we fighting for the heavyweight championship. I, I was like, what? <laughs> I said, what? He said, yeah, we going for the heavyweight championship. I said, well, what you think? What you think about that? He said, Slim, he called me Slim. You can beat him, man. You can beat him, Slim. So, you know, it was, it was very uh, striking for me to, for him, for him to be, Signing me up to fight for the heavyweight championship, but it was fun. It was fun, though. So you, you had to become a little bit less slim for that fight. You had, you had yeah, to bulk yeah. up. What was that like? You worked with Mackie Shellstone, right, to, to bulk yeah, up. Yeah, what what yeah. was that experience like? Putting all that. Well, well Mackie helped me helped me lose weight because I started having a problem losing weight, making like, in the light heavyweight division. Okay. And uh, Mackie, uh, he helped me lose weight. Then uh, he he was telling me that. You know, Slim, uh, he ain't got his name, he said, Mike, uh, I can help you with that. I said, okay, all right. So I knew I knew he was uh, good at what he did, what he, what he did, how he got me losing weight, and then he well, helped me gain weight. So um, that was fun. It was fun, but Mackie was good. I think I remember hearing that in the preparation for the Larry Holmes fight that in training, you were only taking like 30 second breaks between rounds to get yourself in uh -huh. that much better shape. Was it, and that by the end of the fight, you were just completely spent. Is that is that how you recall it? You can say that. <laughs> you can say that. 15 rounds is a lot. They don't go 15 rounds anymore. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. But it was it was all right. You know, and the thing the thing was, um, I I would go go you know close to 15 rounds in the gym. Mm -hmm. You know. Boxing all these guys, different guys. Oh, it was it was too much. It was a lot, it was a lot, but but I, I was able to do it. You beat one of the all-time great heavyweight champions to become heavyweight champion. You were like heavyweight champion during a tremendous era for for that division, weren't you? I mean, do you look back? Are there any particular fights that come to mind, like Kawi or any of those fights that come to mind when you look back in your career? Well, no, we don't come to mind because I, I used to beat him up in Joe Frazier's gym. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I think after he, after he got out of prison, he came straight to the gym and started trying to box. And, and I used to get in the, in, in the gym, in the, in the ring with him and, and beat him up. Oh, really? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I used to beat him up all the time. And, uh, I, I had a good time doing it. <laughs> How long was that before you fought him? Several years before you fought him as pros? Yeah, uh, it, it was. It was yeah, probably several years before I fought him. Okay. Yeah, but uh, but I boxed him darn near every day, every every, every day in uh, in Joe's gym, and uh, I was I was ha handling him pretty well in in the gym, you know, and so when uh, it came time to fight him. I mean, I remember what I used to do to him in Joe Frazier's gym. So I, I was like, um, I mean, I was motivated, you know, kind of motivated to beat him up again in, in, in a real fight. 
But he was pretty strong, though. He hit, hit pretty hard. Mm. He hit pretty hard, but um, I was ready for him. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and I got him. They, yeah. they didn't call him the Camden buzzsaw for nothing, I guess. It's yeah, no walk in that. the park. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they, uh, I, ha I, ha I handled, I handled him uh, pretty well. Had a good time doing it too. Okay, that seems to <laughs> be the because, predominant because, theme. Because, yeah, because at times he would, um, he would try to hit me after the bell or something like that, mm -hmm. and uh, I used to kick him in his ass when he going back to his corner. <laughs> I used to kick him in his head going back to his corner, so I had a good time uh, boxing <laughs> Braxton. Nice. Um, we, we we came pretty close. Okay. You can't, you can't are, are you close with a lot of your former opponents and rivals? No, or no. Not, he's he's one of the few that you became close with. Yeah, because we we, we done it boxed every day yeah. in Joe Frazier's gym, and I boxed. I was boxing heavyweights, Tex Cobb. Mm. I, I was boxing Tex Cobb every day, mm. and uh, I boxed Tex one day. And after I finished hit, I, I think I hit him, and then he turned around and. and did a roundhouse kick at me, so I jumped to the center rope, the center of the rope. I jumped out the rope, I mean, out of the ring. I said, Tess, what you, what, what you kicking, what you trying to kick me for, man? So you hit me too hard. <laughs> <laughs> but I had, I had a wonderful time boxing Tex, because he was, uh, he hit pretty hard, you know, but, uh, I, uh, I, 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 I hung in there with him. I hung in there with him. Yeah. When you retired, you were done. It seemed like there was never any consideration of, of coming back at all. It was kind of a sudden retirement. Did you have any difficulty walking away from the ring, or did you feel, I'm, I'm done now? No, I thought, I thought I had did enough. Okay. I thought I had did enough. I had, I had a good time. And, you know, I boxed, boxed a, a lot of guys, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of guys. Mm. You know, and um, I did. I, I, th I thought I had enough. I thought I had enough. And, and of course, as soon as you retired, five years later, enshrined in the in the Boxing Hall of Fame, deservedly, and to be here now this weekend, some of these guys who are who are going in, Roy Jones, Bernard Hopkins, Floyd Mayweather, any any particular favorites for, for you that you've enjoyed watching uh, from this generation going in now? Not really. Do do you watch much boxing these days, or it's not, not that, that much? much. Not okay. That much, no. All right. Do you ever do you ever look up your old fights uh, on YouTube and check them out? I I, I like watching some of my, my old fights. <laughs> I do. I do. Right. Especially beat Larry Holmes when I fought Larry, because uh, I I remember being I, I can go back to being in the ring and how uh, I was hand, handling Larry because he was trying he was he was trying but. For some reason, I I, uh, I tried a little harder, <laughs> and, and made history and became the first light heavyweight champ to become yeah. heavyweight champ. So yeah, yeah. it's an honor to to talk to you, Michael. Thanks so much no for joining us. No problem. No problem. What a pleasure and an honor to interview those guys. Uh, okay, we wrap up the podcast now with your top five challenge, Kieran. We took a couple of weeks off, but the top five is back. And your assignment spins off our Hall of Fame interviews. Uh, not with Spinks or Tarver, but with a different light heavyweight champ, among other divisions, a guy Tarver fought three times, Roy Jones. Uh, our interview with Roy went sort of kind of viral. It's been watched more than any of the others so far on YouTube and specifically the Twitter clip 
where he pushed back on the notion that he's one of the most gifted fighters ever, because that suggests he didn't work hard to become great, that it was all just natural gifts, which of course isn't really implied when you call someone gifted, but I get why he infers it when he hears that word. Uh, But no need to relitigate all that. Um, So Roy Jones says he worked harder in the gym than anyone. I can neither confirm nor deny that, but we all remember his physique. He definitely did put in the time in the gym. Did he maximize his talent? Maybe he did, maybe not. Your assignment, Kieran, is to name the all-time top five boxers who maximized their talent. If it is possible to overachieve, which some people hate that word because to overachieve means to achieve more than it's possible for you to achieve, which nobody can do. It's like giving 110%. Um, But if you believe it's possible to overachieve, then these are the top five boxers who overachieved. And I'm going to give you two choices on how to frame this. I think I know which you'll choose, but maybe you'll surprise me. You can either do top five among all boxers or just top five among the modern category Hall of Famers. We can restrict it to that group. So it's either that, or you can open it up to include some guys who took club fighter level talent and achieved a lot and just couldn't make it to the Hall of Fame. So that's your assignment. Which way would you rather go with it? Restrict it to those modern Hall of Famers or wide open for anyone? I don't know yet. I have to think (laughs) about it. I think I might, I think, you know, the, the couple of examples that popped into my head make me think I might try the first one. Okay. Um, and I don't know if that's what you were expecting me to say that, or not. That, that but... is not what I was expecting. I thought you might restrict it a little, but you don't actually have to decide right now if you want to just let us know, okay. uh, let me know before next week's pod and let uh, okay. the listeners know on next week's pod. That's uh, that's perfectly fine with me. Okay. That's a good one. I will have a little bit of a think about that. And, uh, and then hopefully none of those cited will be as offended by any compliments that we offer as Roy Jones was <laughs> by any compliments that we offered. So ego. All right. That will do it for another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Uh, check out the Showtime Sports YouTube page for more of our video interviews from the Hall of Fame. Uh, several more will be dropping this week. We will be back with more recaps and previews and news next week. Until then, thank you for listening. Be safe, be kind and be well. <laughs>